When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Hey, it's Greg Hoffman from Take Command. And the best part about podcasts is they create a 25th hour in the day. Whenever I'm commuting, metro, car, even when I'm riding my bike around town, although in that case, one earphone only, safety kids, I'm always listening to podcasts. And this offseason, you can get all the insights, all the news, all the analysis, and Logan and I occasionally make a joke or two in the Take Command podcast on demand so it fits in to your busy schedule. Follow Take Command in the Odyssey app or wherever you get your pods. It's time to Take Command with former NFL tight end Logan Paulson and former Commander's Beat reporter Craig Hoffman. The Take Command podcast from Odyssey Sports. Craig Hoffman, Logan Paulson here with you. We got the Patriots game preview coming up in just a little bit, but we are going to start with the trades. And before anybody says anything, yes, Logan, I am in a different location. I'm in my, uh, we're in between homes. Thank God there's a common area in our apartment building with actual internet uh, space. Are you move? The move is happening this weekend, then, huh? Or yeah, we're week? like in the middle of it right now. Oh, nice. We're in the middle of it. The movers come tomorrow. Uh, my internet in my new place was supposed to be here uh, for today. It was not due to a comedy of errors, and so uh, we don't have internet in either place right now. But you look thank nice. God for comedy it's, it's well lit. Yeah, and it's, it's got like a nice backdrop. You know, maybe I should have just been doing the podcast here all along. I think so, man. In a common really. shared area. Look, there is no one else here. I'm not being that guy right that'd now. Be so, that'd be um, so weird. Like you're moving to your spot and then you walk into the common area and someone's just doing a podcast. I'd be like, man, this dude is out of control. Yeah. So. You know, some apartment buildings now have like podcast studios in them. No, really? Yeah. Oh, yeah. I'm like, Welcome tell me to 2023, baby. I, I'm a professional at this. This is what I do. I speak into microphones for a living. Some of y'all just, anyway, I don't need to be bashing podcasters. Uh, the point is, <laughs> the point is, uh, the commanders, speaking of moving, yeah, there, there's there it. See, that's, that's why they pay me there the big bucks. Uh, speaking of moving, Chase Young on the move to San Francisco. That trade now official. Uh, that took a little bit longer to process, I think, because the 49ers were on their bye week and they had to do all the medicals and stuff and get everybody in place. Uh, Montez Sweat, that was made official fairly quickly. Uh, he is on his way to Chicago. Um, just broad strokes, Logan. What do you make of the moves? Uh, the timing of doing them, what they get in return, the whole shebang. Yeah, I mean, I think um, let's start with Montez. I think Montez was the guy where there was like more value, obviously, associated with him because he's been healthy. He's been a little bit more consistent than Chase. And he's the player of the two that I'm probably more sad to see go because I feel like when he's played, he's been more consistent in terms of playing in the context of the defense. And, um, you know, I think he's kind of had a better chemistry with that defensive line. And, you know, John's mentioned that. Payne's mentioned that. Um, you know, other guys like Casey and James have also kind of said similar things. So obviously he's a guy that's 
you know, been a good pro and indoctrinated himself well with the, within the organization. I think the problem is, you know, you're going to have to pay him probably more than you want to based on his level of production. Like I still think Montez is like a fantastic football player, really. Like he's, he's really excellent, but he's not, I don't think he's ever going to be in that top 10, you know, in terms of pass rush production. So, you know, your TJ Watts, your Bosa's, Garrett's, whoever you want to put in that group. Um, and I think that's probably frustrating for fans and probably ownership to a certain extent because you're going to have to pay him like that. And while I think he's an excellent football player and I want him around, like, is the juice worth the, worth, worth the squeeze in terms of the production you get out of it? So ultimately, I think they make they make the right decision because I'm not sure they'd be able to re-sign him next year or they'd really want to re-sign him at that price point. I think there was kind of this, you know, at least when I was talking to Fred and Santana and London Fletcher that day, there was this kind of underlying tone that you'd be able to get him in that like 20 to $21 million range. And then, you know, I hear on Kimes podcast that he's asking for that 25 number, which again, might not seem like a big difference, but that's probably two, that's probably two players, honestly, that you could go out and sign with that extra $5 million. So um, kind of get that perspective and obviously getting a, a first round pick essentially from the bears. I know it's a second round pick, but the bears are going to be picking high. They're not a good football team. They're probably be picking 35, 36, 37. So that plays like a first round pick. And obviously there's good football players there, especially in next year's draft, at least from the kind of early stuff I've been listening to. Like there's going to be guys that fall into that top 40 that are first round caliber players. So great for this team. And also it gives you some, um, some, some, kind of equity to trade if you are looking to move up next year and kind of make your move for the quarterback, assuming, you know, I think Sam Howell's doing a great job, but maybe new ownership, um, new leadership wants to go in a different direction. I think that's a valuable piece. So all in all, like um, I think for the team, for the commanders, I think it's a good move. You know, you're getting something for a guy you probably wouldn't be able to keep next year. Um, I think it's frustrating for Montez. Um, you know, I think he probably wanted to go someplace else, but ultimately the the Bears come with the best offer and that's what you get. So in terms of that trade, in terms of that player and that trade, I, I feel like it's kind of as good as you can get quite, quite frankly. So, yeah, no, a hundred percent. And I agree with everything you said there. Um, they didn't want to move him. That's been reported widely. Um, they wanted to try to keep him. The rea- the reality of keeping him did mean probably spending a little more than you wanted to, but it's worth it if, you know, there's going to be production and, and he plays so well off of Duran specifically, who you just locked up for the long term. Um, and while your double-digit sack guy might not be your edge player, if your edge player unlocks a double-digit sack guy in your defensive tackle, then sure, like, let's, let's do that. But when you're going to get what is a top 40 pick, like, it's a no-brainer. Because yeah. you can go draft a player the caliber of Montez Sweat, maybe not from year one, but like pretty quickly. Like over the next five years, let's say they draft a direct replacement. They draft an edge with pick 36 next year. Right. Who's going to be the best player, the better player over the next five years? That young guy might wind up being as good or better, and he's going to cost like a tenth of the price. And so yeah. it's just an, at that point a no-brainer. Um, it stinks. It sucks for Montez. Like you said, like Atlanta seemed to be the other team in it and he's an Atlanta guy. Like I'm sure he would have preferred to go there than Chicago, but like this is the business of football. The commanders would have been committing organizational malpractice not to take the Chicago offer. Um, and not to mention it's just a better offer period. Nevertheless, like where the two teams are in the standings, the Atlanta offer, um, seemed to be that it was a third. And if he re-signed, it would be a second. So conditional, a pick and Chicago offers you a straight second. So you just take the Chicago pick and and you move forward. Um, And that's a value play. Chase is a little more complicated. Um, The Chase Young deal is one that people are all over the place on. Um, I think JP put it really well on my show yesterday, though, when he came on 
Um, and he goes, look, if you take your car uh, to the dealer to sell it and they tell you it's $50,000 and you take it to another dealer and it's $50,000 and you go to another dealer and it's $50,000. One, that's a very nice used car if you're still getting fifty. Seriously, yeah. Uh, but, but two, maybe we should use $20,000. Maybe we should use $10,000. Point is, <laughs> if you get the same price at every single dealer, that's, what it's that's worth. the price. Yeah. And so people people in you know can can think that because of where Chase is in his career, twenty four, his pass rush win rate super high. Like he's done very very well as a pass rusher, specifically uh, in a couple of key statistics that he should be worth more than Montez or worth mm-hmm. you know more. Period. This is the market for Chase. Sure, knee injury plays into it. Kind of his reputation and what he puts on tape plays into it. Like there's a lot of factors here, but at the end of the day. Um, I think it's pretty clear that the command. This is the guy the commanders wanted to move on from for any number of reasons. Mm-hmm. Uh, some of which are fairly obvious. Some of which might, you know, who knows what reporting may come out in the future. Um, mm-hmm. But this this was the move that they wanted to make, and and I think there is to use a phrase that's been used. I, I used it a couple of days ago. Ben put it in in print. There's an addition by subtraction element that they think both currently and in the long term that they had to make this move. Yeah, and so obviously, like you mentioned, this is the more kind of controversial trade because of the value. But I, I think you, you know, articulated that very nicely. Like this is the value. This is what the best they could get for him. And um, I, I heard that San Fran came with the best offer, which is a conditional third, which is going to play like a fourth. And you know, there's a lot of things like you mentioned that go into that. The one that kind of keep kept popping up when you talk to people is the health. There were a lot of people who were concerned about his health. Um, and I don't know. And I think there's kind of a myriad of other things that show up on film. They say, hey, man, how hard does he play consistently? And I, this is not a bash chase session. Like, I think Chase is yeah. a good football player. I think he's got a ton of upside. I think, <clears throat> I think some of the expectations that he had coming in here were going to be really, really challenging to kind of meet. I, you know, I was very high on him. Like, when you watch his college film, you're like, man, this guy's going to be amazing. And it just never really developed. I think his rookie year was was good. It was not great. I think people overhyped that rookie year too in terms of memory. Seven sacks, couple forced fumbles, very similar to like Ryan Kerrigan's numbers his rookie year. And I, like both of them are good football players, but I don't think it was ever kind of this Nick Bosa, Joey Bosa, kind of the other Ohio State pass rushers in terms of production early in their career. And then obviously he struggled the next year and then had the injury and then he missed all of his third season and everyone's like well why didn't they pick up his fifth year option like i don't think i would have picked up the fifth year option no way. you know on a guy that had missed an entire season and was questionable in terms of coming back so there's and a by lot the way, of way who you've had all kinds of issues with in terms of the timeline of coming back like that's yeah. part of this is like there seems to be a real lack of communication and trust between the organization and Chase's side of it around that injury, around the injury earlier this year, where every time this dude got hurt, and maybe this is the organization's fault. This this is, yeah. again, not like a blame Chase thing. Maybe this is on the organization for doing a bad job here, but like every time this dude got hurt, there seemed to be some consternation around when he would come back and play, and that's something that, that knocks down your value uh, in the eyes of teams around the league. Yeah, I think so. I think you put that really nicely. I don't remember your exact wording, but basically like the relationship, you know, seemed to be stressed between Chase and the team. And so right. obviously whatever whatever that is, you know, that's behind closed doors, that's conversations between, you know, I don't know who you know, I don't even know who's having the conversation. Right. But obviously is it Chase is his agent, his yeah. family, like who who knows? Right. And so obviously that wasn't going well. And um I, I just think it's the best thing for everybody. You know, you hear stuff you hear stuff, you don't know how much of it's true, how much of it's not, but it just seemed like it was time for Chase to move on. And I and I think honestly, like 
this might be I might be in the minority opinion here, but I think this is the best case scenario for Chase. You're moving oh, on from too. the Commanders. You're going to a team with a former teammate, a guy who's done it, been successful. They're well coached. Daryl Taps, the defensive line coach there. He seems to be able to get a lot out of kind of pass rushers. That scheme is very pass rusher friendly. You got Eric Armstead there, a guy who has grown up, former first round pick, had to deal with very high expectations. And they, they there is a culture there, especially in that defensive line rooms of guys who've had to deal with very a lot of success. Some of them have failed, like Farrell, I think, is the other guy who was drafted in Oakland. Um, yeah. And like that's going to be great for his experience. Trent Williams is there, and from what I understand and talking with guys in San Fran, like Trent Williams, he talk about a good leadership position that puts him in. Chase is going to have to go up against that guy every day in practice. I, I just think it's a good it's a good situation for him to kind of blossom, get away from some of the baggage, whatever that baggage is here, and reestablish himself. And I think they're going to give him an opportunity to do that. And they seem to have an ability to kind of reinvent people's careers. And so it's good for the organization because you're moving on from somebody who didn't seem to be clicking with you for whatever reason, um, didn't produce because probably because of the injury the way you want them to. And you get some value for him in return, a guy that was going to be tough to resign probably in free agency anyway. And he gets to go to a place where um, they're going to win some football games. And I think they're going to develop him in a way that um, because of the people they have there, not because of the coaching or anything, because of the culture they have there in a way that he wasn't going to be able to do here because the way we, the way this city, the way the team kind of anointed him early on, I think it made it very challenging for him to grow as a player. Hey everyone, this is Brett Boone. Would you know it? I've got a podcast going strong in our fourth year. Tune in as I sit down with my friends, some of the biggest names in sports, media, entertainment, for a lot of fun and in-depth conversations. As you know, baseball's been my life. It's been in the family for a long time, but it's a lot more than that here. It's sort of like taking a ride in a golf cart around a beautiful track. Join me every week for multiple episodes on the Brett Boone Podcast, available on the Odyssey app or wherever you get your podcasts. No, I agree. And to kind of go in on that a little bit, I think that there is obviously some of that that does fall on Chase. Like, you, know, 100%. You, were, you have to be able to grow up. You have to be able to be a professional. You have to be able to do all these things. But I, I always kind of chuckle um, slash get extremely frustrated when a player gets traded and it's like, oh, that guy's going to thrive there in their culture. And it's like, is that a reflection of the player? Is that a sure. reflection of the organization that he came from? Like, what is it about this organization that um, that made it so he couldn't thrive here? And is that a culture thing within the Dean line room and the coaches that he's had, Sam Mills, Jeff Scanina, and, and company here? Is it the other teammates not being strong enough leaders? Is it like what is it that stuff here? And I think there's probably some shreds of truth in a variety of those different things. Yeah. But there's also in this particular case with this player and this team a geographic element that nobody could have ever done anything about. And I go back to a, a quote that JP Finley shared on again, when he was on with me on Wednesday, uh, definitely worth uh, checking out that interview. If folks missed it on the Hoffman show, um, it's up on my YouTube page at Craig Hoffman at the team 980s YouTube page. And uh, of course in our podcast feed, but JP relayed uh, a conversation that he had with chase on camera on record, like at the 2020 combine, they, they get a one-on-one -on -one interview and, he, and JP asked him about coming to DC and Chase goes, man, I know how, like, I'm excited, but I also know how DC is. There's a lot of fake love. 
And he had seen how, you know, the organization or like the fan base had fallen in love with a guy like Robert Griffin and then fallen out of love. And, um, you know, that's obviously Dwayne is is there at the time and people were so excited and then kind of instantly were like, I'm off of Dwayne. And so, you know, he saw that. And there's also so much pressure and, and family stuff and like all these kinds of things that you have to deal with when you're at home versus if you're halfway across the country or now full the way across the country. And I think there was just on some level for, and some guys can handle it better than others. So this is not to like totally say like, Oh, well it never was going to work. Nobody could have ever done anything. Some guys handle it better than others. Some organizations help insulate players better than others, but it very much seemed like with the tumult here, the last couple of years with chase, who was definitely into, you know, taking advantage of his star power, which I don't begrudge anybody for that. Like, go make your money, man. Do your Chipotle commercials. Do your stuff. Like, this is not a criticism, but, like, when you invite some of that stuff, that cranks that pressure up, Mm -hmm. and it just seemed like there was kind of an inevitability about the failure of that relationship, considering where both parties were and some of the factors that stressed it. So um, it's it sucks, um, but it's an unfortunate reality, and I think to conclude my thoughts – I agree with you that this is the best thing for both parties. Wish nothing but the best for Chase. And I do think that this this team will be better for having moved on from Chase and kind of getting that fresh start here in the Josh Harris era. No, I think you're – I agree with everything you said. I think the other thing is too, like people say, oh, he'll do better there. And I I just think, you know, having been on multiple teams and been cut and signed and done the whole thing and talking with Tana, that was was a really illuminating conversation we had uh, yesterday on the show. Um, but you know, like you get to a new spot and they see you in a different way. All the baggage you had when you were with, when I was with Washington was gone when I went to Chicago and they kind of empowered me to take more of a leadership role in the locker room. And I wasn't an undrafted free agent. I wasn't Chris Cooley's backup or Fred Davis's backup. The guy that shouldn't have been starting. I was Logan Paulson, a guy they brought in for agency. Now I wasn't like a big free agent signing for them, obviously, but I was a guy that like they, they, they felt confident and they treated me in a different way and it allowed me to grow and blossom in a different way. And talking to Santana about his time in New York with the Jets was, was fascinating because I guess he came in on an injury very similar to Chase and yep. people and he didn't agree with the receiver coach and there was a lot of friction there. And um, and basically like the receiver coach kind of butt heads with Tana and Tana's, you know, a pretty easygoing guy, but they didn't get along well. There was this reputation that he was hurt all the time. And he was only hurt for a year. You know what I mean? It was just like that was kind of his narrative. And then he comes to Washington and it was like a clean slate. And he was, you know, seen as this model citizen, a guy that never was heard and kind of the guy we know and love today in terms of reputation. So I just think there's oftentimes like when you're in an organization, especially one that hasn't turned over a ton, there is this you get like a stigma. You're like this guy. And so I often like I advise guys, you know, guys in the draft and stuff like change is not bad sometimes it's helpful because it helps kind of rewrite the narrative for you so i know we're talking about him going to san francisco san francisco and being successful i just think getting different voices and a different perception of what he is and who he is is going to be helpful for him and i just think being in a room of guys who have done it at his position and are bigger stars than him probably in the nfl is going to be helpful for him and all those things it would be very hard to replicate that here in washington almost impossible unless you went out and signed you know miles garrett or or Joey Bosa or Nick Bosa or something like somebody like that. But right. but even I, then, like imagine you go sign Miles Garrett, right? Then it's Miles Garrett and Chase Young. And it's like, oh, Miles Garrett joins Chase Young versus like 
oh, right. Chase Young's going to play with Joey Bosa. Like when right. you're the incumbent, it's different. Sure. And so he never would have got, been able to get that here. Yeah, and I think that's that's why again it's I'm sure there was some clash in terms of organization that didn't that just didn't work here, but I also think just moving on sometimes is really helpful. And I think that's kind of what we're talking about here. Um I think and hopefully it works out for him. I really do. I, I like that's a guy that I, I I you root for a little bit because like because of the expectation, because of the hype, because of the talent. And I just hope it works out for him in San Fran. I really do because I think that you know, having played in San Fran, it's an awesome culture out there. And Kyle's not going to – hopefully Kyle can get him going in the right direction. But um, I'm excited for him. And, I'm, and you know, I'm excited for Montez in a different way because I think he's going to get paid. But, you know, that's a, that's a tougher situation going to Chicago probably. Yeah. Um, we'll see if he ultimately is like, you know what? Atlanta's also going to pay me. Uh, <laughs> thanks for the nine games where I'm going to get a mysterious hamstring injury and I uh, have to go rehab somewhere warmer. Uh, right. But, you know, we'll see. Uh, I think that real quick to, to wrap up this segment before we get into the New England game, I think we should talk about it more from the commander's perspective and like, you know, were there mistakes made along the way kind of thing? Because I do think this defense can play better without these guys, which is kind of, I mean, obviously they can't play much worse based off the production. They're 28th in, in DVOA, they're 31st in points, they're 31st in yards. So obviously within the context of this season, just a regression to the mean of being average would be an improvement on, on what they've done from a production standpoint so far. Um, obviously, we've highlighted at times in the film review pod some of the issues that Chase has had this year with the freelancing and some of the big and it's plays. Not that's allowed. It's not just Chase. It's not just Chase too. But no, it's it's not. But he's he's definitely one of the, he's probably the worst offender, even if it's not by a significant margin. Sure. Um, and having guys and like the power of when a guy just does his job and plays hard and like there's all that. But you also mentioned like in San Francisco, it's a very pass rush friendly edge rush friendly specifically scheme and when I look at what Jack has done here I actually just think it's worth like wondering and maybe it's not worth that much because you know who knows who's going to be picking players this offseason and if you know at that point like who cares it's what happened in the past but it is kind of like you know from the team building strategy and some of the issues that they've had like I do think it's it's frustrating to look at some of the players they brought in and where it hasn't worked the way that they schemed it up. And it seems fairly obvious in hindsight from, hey, we're going to draft Jamin Davis in the first round to make him our, like our star middle linebacker. And then it's like, oh, actually, he's playing Will and like he can't get on the field 100% of the time. And, you know, the, they like the idea of having a playmaker in Emmanuel Forbes. And then they're not really willing to tolerate the risk of what that actually looks like. Slash Emmanuel's got a lot of growing to do. And with a guy like Chase, if you're not a super like pass rush friendly, like, Hey, let's let our edges be creative and and do that kind of scheme. Why did you draft him in the first place? I mean, he was an obvious pick at number two, but you could have traded out. Like you could have, you know, if you wanted to be really bold, you could have taken Herbert or whatever. And I don't think any of us really, uh, uh, this is not, this is second guessing just to be clear, right? Like this is not something that at the time everyone was like, wow, what are they doing? Chase was the obvious pick. But in hindsight, like, I guess really what I'm getting to, Logan, is like, what are the lessons learned from this experience now that Chase and Montez have been traded and it's over? Yeah, and I think that's really hard to know, honestly, with Chase specifically. I think um, with Chase, there's a lot of, you know, kind of like, what if? I think, you know, he had the good rookie year, and he, I know he had a slow start to his second year before the injury, but, you know, maybe if he doesn't get hurt, it's like a different conversation completely and it's kind of the same thing with Robert like if Robert never gets hurt how does he progress going into 2013 all that kind of stuff and um, I know that's a hard game to play and I I also think it's important to note that 
the draft is is an inexact science. And I think there's a lot of people that say, oh, this is how this player is going to turn out. This is what he can do. This is what he should do. And that is the correct approach because you're looking at an optimistic kind of view of of that individual, like Emmanuel Forbes. Like I think there was like kind of looking back at the the draft class, you know, when we did our draft evaluation, when I was doing my my tiers list, like he was kind of the the fourth guy. Does that mean I'm wrong? Does that mean the team's wrong? No, it just means they valued something different than I valued. And I think that that's so important is like, what is this? What is the guy like there's you're drafting an individual, you're drafting a player, and you're also drafting like hope and optimism and development. And I think that's it's really hard to negotiate that sometimes because there's better college players, obviously, you know, like hypothetically in this world of, of, of doing draft evaluation, but who's going to be the better pro because it's a different game. And I think that that is that's something I think if I was going to say to you, to fans, is the inexact nature of the draft. It feels very official and they get the draft boards out and they get the experts on there. But ultimately, you don't know, and it's and you're bringing you're bringing an individual in into a culture. How do they acclimate to that? How do they acclimate to the scheme? How do they acclimate to the coaching? And all that stuff you try to account for. They do so many tests and evaluations, but you never really know. So, do I think that they've made mistakes? Yes, but every team, if you go back and review their draft, has made mistakes. And the teams with you know historically good drafts, like everyone cites the New Orleans Saints when they drafted. Um, Lattimore and all those guys in the same draft. I think it was 2011. I want to say um, they got lucky. They they hit on a fourth round, a fifth round, a second round. Their first round pick was okay, but the the meat of the draft was in that kind of you know middle of the draft, and that's luck. I hate to break it to you, as 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 confident as you are, you're lucky there. So not breaking uh, any news to me. Yeah, right. I, and I so mean, like if if they knew that. Russell Wilson was going to be Russell Wilson in Seattle. They would have drafted him in the first round, not where they did. Same thing, I mean, frankly, with Kirk here. Like, if they knew Kirk was going to be what he was, they would have drafted him higher. And so would every other team. And Tom Brady, like, like Uh, that's what I'm saying. Ultimate example, yeah. And you never really know, right? And so I think there's something there. And so, uh, you know, in terms of development, I think you look at Jamin and you look at the draft class from last year and you say, or Jamin's year, Draft, you know, Jamin, Sam Cosme, guys that are going to be contributors to this team that are playing good football. Deami Brown seems to have turned a corner, right? Um, obviously, B Rob, um, all those pieces, Sam Howell, like those those draft pieces are going to be different. And so, in terms of kind of malfeasance or malpractice, I don't think there's anything going on there. Because um, I do think, like, when you say Chase Young, like, there, to me, there was no doubt. I thought he could play in any system in the NFL. And I was so confident in that. And it just, didn't work out here for whatever reason, you know, and there's a myriad of reasons, some which will probably be reported on at a later time. But I think that's so important for fans to understand. It's, I think the, everyone in the organi- organization is trying their best to get this done. They're making assumptions, they're making assumptions, they're making assessments, and uh, sometimes they work out. And I think when you look at the people that have been brought into this team, like Derek Forrest, for example, he's a six round pick, and that's a good starting piece and good value. And I think people forget about those pieces sometimes. Um, you know, when you miss on a first round pick, which again, I know is really frustrating, but I think it's all part of the process. Yeah. I mean, I would say the other last thing that I've just learned is I I feel like through this experience, I've definitely learned more about D line play and the importance of having some, you know, your play to use the basketball analogy everyone's using. Like you need some 20 point scorers. You need some guys that are just going to set picks and do dirty work. And you know, the balancing of like, you kind of know it on a roster building. You can't put too much into one position type of thing in general. But um, I do think that specific to D line play, like really understanding that 
there is such an importance to having some stars uh, mm. and and really great players, but you can't have too many of them at that particular group. And so, you know, in hindsight, the strategy of getting the four of these guys together was actually probably flawed to, to begin with, but uh, it was worth trying. And ultimately, it doesn't work out. And and now here we are. When you talk about what you learn about D line play, I think the thing when you watch this D line and you watch them compared to other D lines that are very prolific in terms of pass rush is. Drafting a good athlete does not make a good pass rusher. I think that's something that you see at a pretty high level. Like, unless that guy has a feel for what that looks like, you're going to end up with guys that don't have any nuance or bend or understanding angles or hand fighting or whatever it is. And I think that's something that if you want a good pass rusher, find someone who's got good pass rush production in college. And I know we talk about like Montez as being a, a very efficient player, but he was never, he was always an efficient player in college. He never was a guy that had 15 sacks. You know, he was always like right. 11, 10 sack kind of guy because he didn't have that, that high level nuance as a pass rusher. He's a great football player. He's a great athlete. But if you're looking for someone that's going to challenge Lane Johnson down and in, down out, I need to see a good athlete with good production. And I think that is something that, probably should shift like what is the goal is it is the goal to have a good defensive lineman or is the goal to have a good pass rusher and i look at some of the teams that have good pass rushing defensive lines and they're not the best defensive linemen but they are the best pass rushers and i think like understanding the difference in that selection and allocation is super important